Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here of Mile High Sports, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports, and Peter Baugh of The Athletic. Here, I guess, to uh, put a bow on the season, put a bow on the playoff series that was, and uh, just kind of look back before we look ahead. We're going to do a little bit of both, of course, today. But first, uh, guys, let's look back. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Peter, of course. But now now that it's been exactly a week, we've had a week to process the, the loss in the playoff series that was. What have you come to terms with, I guess? How, how do you look back at the season and assess the year as a whole and assess the playoff performance? Peter, I guess let's start with you. Yeah, well, the playoff performance, I think, was defined mostly by what the team was missing. You had um, a lot of the best players playing super heavy minutes because Jared Bednar didn't have other forwards he could, he could trust. Um, you had the forwards he could trust beyond the stars playing probably more than they should have. You had guys like JT Comfort, who's a really good player playing probably way more minutes than is ideal for him, um, especially in big games. And I think you just saw a team that, that ran out of, ran out of bodies at that. The fourth line in the last game of the season was Dennis Malgan, Ben Myers and Brad Hunt. And Dennis Malgan was a guy who probably would have been put on waivers in Toronto if the Avs hadn't traded for him. Ben Myers is a guy who's been up and down throughout the year and has, I think, four goals and zero assists this season. Um, and Brad Hunt is a defenseman who is mostly an AHL player. So it's it just was none of that is a recipe for, for I, I guess, having a, a deep lineup that could go far in the playoffs. Uh, so they lost in round one. If they had gotten through round one, I think they probably wouldn't have done very well against Dallas because it seems like a lot of the guys who were hurt weren't coming back anytime soon. The way that I look at the season, I think of the many, many, many times we talked about injuries throughout the year, starting from Gabe Landeskog and Darren Helm on, where I think for the first month, and it wasn't just me, I know both of you guys had done it too, but I think of the many times that when I would talk about the injuries, I say when they get healthy, and then I would correct myself and stop and say if, because there are no guarantees. And that's ultimately what the season came down to. You know, they, they did not, like Peter said, have the depth that they did a year ago. Um, they had a lineup that when healthy, if you are playing an EA sports game and you turn injuries off, it's a pretty good team. But as soon as those injuries start to hit and Brad hunts your third line right winger or left winger or whatever, uh, the team is just not as good as it should be. Uh, and that obviously includes no Gabe Landeskog all year. That obviously includes the Nichushkin situation, the last five games of the playoffs. They simply didn't have the bodies to match up with other teams. And coming off of a short offseason, the amount of minutes that guys like Miko and Nate played was a little was a little crazy honestly um but the way they performed was awesome but but that's ultimately what it was it was a season of if 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 and the ifs never came to be and i think it was a season of kind of paying the price of last year's cup run in a lot of ways you had gabe yeah. Lanniskog, who who knows what his injury situation would have been had he not played on on his his uh his knee last playoffs he said it in a pre in his press conference he was like it definitely took a toll it was worth it but it took a toll um you have the fact that they couldn't trade for anyone at this deadline just because they didn't have prospects to, to move because they moved a lot last deadline. Um, there, there's just a lot of, of things that they couldn't get done because they won last year and they put together a juggernaut of a team last year. And it's a really good thing they won then because now the futures, it certainly is a lot of teams would trade places with the abs. They have Kel McCard, Nathan McKinnon, Nico Ranton and all under contract for the next couple of years. But I do think that this is a, a situation where, um, yeah, it, it's, they, it's a good thing they won last year. Cause now the future is a lot less certain. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Florida Panthers, I know they're doing good right now. And like, this is a little hard to make this, this to have this take given the way their playoffs have been going, but you know, they went into last off season with like no first rounder until 2025 because of a Ben Sherratt trade, a Claude Giroux trade, a Sam Reinhardt trade, just all these deals. They kind of, you know, have have a bare prospect pool and, and not many pros uh, and sorry, bare draft pick pool and not many prospects and nothing to show for it. But a second round sweep to the Tempe Lightning. So at least for the Avalanche's case, they can say, like you said, it's a good thing they won last year. 
Jared Bednar said something, and I can't remember if this was in his post-game presser for Game 7 or maybe it was on Altitude a few days ago where he said, had we won in 2021, you can run it back because some of these guys are still under contract. But when we won it, it was the same summer that a lot of these guys were up for new deals. So it was unfortunate in that sense that you, you know, rather than win the Stanley Cup in 2021 and you still got Nas for 4-5 and Berkey for 4-9 and, you know, whoever else on the team, it was we won the cup and these guys are all up for new deals. Thank you for your service and you're on. So it really was, there is a little bit of uncertainty coming up here. Um, but when I look back at the season, I look, uh, I look at a season of, you know, if things had gone a little bit differently, but they didn't. And even then you didn't really give yourself much room for air on a team that it seems like, you know, every, and, and, you know, there are going to be questions that Chris McFarland's going to have to answer this summer in terms of how to build his roster. But it seems like, and this is something I said to JJ after game seven, every chance, every coin flip, every decision that was made in 21, 22, for the most part, generally speaking, went well. But, you know, starting with, for example, bringing back Nazem Kadri after that eight game suspension. Uh, trading a high prospect for Lekkanen, trading another high prospect for Manson, letting them both resign, uh, you know, trading a, a high pick and a prospect for Darcy Kemper, seeing how that turned out. Everything they did ultimately, for the most part, generally speaking, went well. But in 22-23, we trust Alex Newhook to be the second line center. Didn't really work out. Uh, you know, we trust that everybody's going to be healthy for opening night. Didn't really work out. We trust we don't really need to dip into our LTIR pool, granted, prospects and picks have a thing to do with that didn't really work out we trust we'll get somebody at the deadline they had to go down the list because of a monahan injury taves whatever all that ended up with lars eller didn't really work out we trust we're going to be healthy on the blue line run it back didn't really work out just everything all those decisions that they made I, didn't work out i i i mean in some they at the end of the season they're mostly healthy at the blue line I, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that I mean, like, and and i think they season. also have to say like it, you can't just say that everything went wrong for the abs this year. No, because... no, 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 no. Real quick. Let me, let me clarify okay. before you go into that. I'm not giving them excuses. I'm saying every year you make decisions and you hope they work out. And Chris McFarland has to answer for the fact that a lot of his decisions this year didn't work out as compared to last year. So I'm by yeah. no means making excuses. I'm just saying that like everything they did, like outside of maybe an Evan Rodriguez, $2 million deal that worked out, like, not a lot worked out for them. Yeah, I mean, I think you can say the the Dennis Malgan trade for Brad yeah. Hunt probably worked out. Like some of the more moves around the edges. Dragon. But I think what what we saw was that in the end, this team, because of absences to core players uh, like Landis Goggin, Nachushkin, and Manson by the end, um, this team needed more than just moves around the edges. And I personally think that it was probably smart that they didn't do more at the deadline because I don't think that this team was going to make it very far. And I think that rather than, rather than further deplete the prospect pool, it seems like the front office said, we'll try and make some moves around the edges. We'll see if it can take us to the level we need to be. And if not, then we restock a little bit this coming off season. And now they have their first round pick. They didn't part with guys like Olison or, uh, Sean Barron's um, they signed some good college free agents Sam Malinsky looks like he could be a player and now you go into the coming off season with a chance to kind of reshape your roster a little bit more than you would have had you gone all in at the deadline I've had like a oh yeah moment like three or four times the last month that they still have their first round draft pick yeah. like I completely forgot they still had that so um, yeah I mean when you look back at it now it's easy to say um and it makes sense to say that this team just didn't have it. This team wasn't going to go all the way. And it does make sense that like, yes, they traded a second rounder a few years down the line for, uh, for what's his name for Lars Eller. But even if that didn't end up working out, it wasn't the same kind of second rounder and Justin Barron second rounder and Drew Hellison first rounder and Connor Timmons for a goalie. That's a UFA. Like they put a lot of a lot into that 21, 22 roster. They didn't put as much into 22, 23. 
the one they put a lot into thankfully worked out obviously with the luck of the injuries and having having your core players all season 22 23 just didn't seem like it was the year to do that yeah i so i i I think that one of the things that you can hold against the team is their lack of action at the trade deadline and i think that's fair and i think that the lack of action at the trade deadline might have cost them winning around but in the end i also don't think it was the I don't think it was imprudent that they didn't go all in because I think this year, even at that point, it would, they were kind of handcuffed because they thought Landeskog was going to come back. And if, yeah. if they had Landeskog back, then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, maybe a uh, Lars Eller's playing on the third or fourth line because you have, um, you have Landeskog back and you're, you can run a second line of Nachushkin comfort Landeskog. Like it, it just wasn't, it, 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 it a lot of stuff went wrong for them. And then of the things that went right, I think you've got to look at the fact that you just had all world seasons from Nathan McKinnon and Mika Rantanen. Like yeah. they just took their games to a completely different level. Which is something that is great to look forward to, knowing that those guys were able to do that with the roster and 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 the I guess the situation they were dealt this past season. Um, but the thing about the Avalanche, and this is why that first round loss. I know during games four and five, I used to say, you know, if the Avalanche, you started to realize this team wasn't going to win at all and they weren't going to make it far. And and throughout that series against Seattle, you know, my favorite take about that series at the end of it is, is it surprising that the second year expansion team eliminated the defending Stanley Cup champions? Sure. But is it surprising going into game seven, seeing how the first six games went? Absolutely not. There was a lot of negativity around the avalanche. And I'm not even talking off ice. I'm talking on ice. There was a lot of negativity with how they had to chase the games, how they were down to nothing in game two to even win, how they hadn't scored the first goal, how Kale McCarr got suspended and, and they, they had to fight and tooth like tooth and nail for, for every win where, you know, with a team like Seattle, if Dallas eliminates them, which obviously is not even a guarantee, uh, they're going to sit back in a week and say, we did something good this year for the avalanche, whether you're winning or losing that game seven to Seattle, if you won that game seven and a series where you were outplayed for a lot of it, you somehow came away with a victory in that final game and went into a series against Dallas. And let's just pick a number five games lost in five. Let's say six, just to make it easier. I don't think they're going to go into the off season and say, we did something good here. There are no. no moral victories for them to win a round, whether they were losing in round one or round two. I don't think it makes a huge difference for this. I, I disagree a little bit there because I do think that winning a series is an accomplishment in itself. And I think that when you look at like how you defend the title, like they're the defending champs, like how did you defend it? losing in the second round in a tough six game series to Dallas is a more of an admirable title defense than bowing out in round one. So I I would push back a little bit there. Like, I think that when you have a core of McKinnon, Ranton and McCarr, a goalie who's playing at a high level, Devon Taves, who's playing at a good level. Like you, you, you had a, a team that on paper, should have gotten out of the first round. I think that it's it's disappointing if you don't. And I think that, so I wouldn't say, maybe it, that's looking at winning a series round as a moral victory, but I do think there is something to that. Like the Avs had guys on this team who, Evan Rodriguez has never won a first round series. I'm sure he he was pretty devastated after game seven. Like it, it's, uh, it, it's really tough to win. And I think that you kind of have to take the victories along the way. So I think that it would have meant something if they had beaten Seattle. Maybe it's not, um, it's certainly not winning a Stanley cup and maybe they still lose to Dallas. They probably do, but it's, it's, it's worth something. And you also like give yourself a chance of like, maybe something crazy happens and Dennis Malgan goes on one of his heaters and you suddenly are in a game seven with Dallas and it's tied in the third period and you have a chance to go to a conference final. Like you, you I, I wouldn't say that it, there's no difference between winning and losing that game seven. Yeah, I guess I guess that's a good point. And it's just going to be a sour taste in their mouths that, you know, they couldn't get out of the first round after winning the cup. Uh, that's that's a good way to look at it, at it. Even the goalie, the goalie hasn't won a series. Alex Georgiev, he wanted to win that. But um, I think the long break will do them well. Yes. Uh, and that's something that they're definitely going to need uh, going from April 30th all the way to October. I mean, and I know there was the COVID pause and that was for two and a half months, but in 2020, they finished playing in, you know, August, September, whatever it was. And 
the season started in January the next year. In 2021, despite losing in the second round, they still played into June. In 2022, they played into late June. And now they're finally back on that regular schedule of May, June, July, and August. Four months, no games, no training camp until September's camp and October season. So I think it's going to do good for them. Obviously, there's a lot of questions they have to answer um, in terms of roster creation and, and putting this piecing back this team that won a Stanley Cup less than 12 months ago. But the break for the guys on the ice is certainly going to do well. And I think it could do a lot of good for someone like Alex Newhook. Cause I, I look at, he's someone I've thought about a lot since the season ended. Cause it was, he kind of plateaued from his, his first full season last year. He had very similar numbers this year to that year uh, in a year where the Avs were hoping he would be able to take a step and he just wasn't ready for that. And I think when I look at Newhook, I look at a guy who he played until um, like you said, what June 26 when they won the cup, yep. then it's probably, a month or so of, of resting, probably partying a little, like, partying, you know, yeah. having, having a break and a much deserved break. But then all of a sudden it's August and you have like a month to get into shape before training camp. And if you're out, you're a guy like Alex Newhook, who they're expecting to take a big jump. That's not much time to like find ways to improve your game. Whereas this summer, it's like someone like him, you get some rest, then you go all in for two and a half months and you have yeah. two and a half months to, to, work on things and and maybe it makes a difference and maybe it doesn't but i i think that for guys like that a long break will make a big difference and just guys like mckinnon and ranton and mccarr who've played a ton of hockey like they can just rest for a little bit yeah especially miko ranton playing all 82 games and and not missing a playoff game last Although he's year. not done and he's going to finland now to play <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to play in the world champion the world uh, hockey championships which is just hilarious but yeah i mean in conclusion i think it, it's 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 safe to say they would have loved to win that first round. Um, it's also safe to say this team needed a lot of good fortunes if they were going to go on a long run, and and they just didn't get it. Holy shit. Talk about some technical difficulties on my part. Um, yeah, JJ's been gone. For those listening, last JJ's 10 been minutes. gone for the last like, 10 minutes. We, uh, we powered through JJ. <laughs> I, I have a couple things I wanted to just add on to what you guys were saying. I liked Peter's point of, you know, they essentially had to pay the cost to be the boss, right? And, and going in and going all in last year and making it work successfully, well, this year just didn't work out quite as, as they wanted. And it feels like, you know, as media, you know, I'm sure a lot of Avs fans going into the playoffs said, I think there's still a chance this team can get this done without Gabe Landeskog, right? And perhaps it was the Nachushkin situation that broke the camel's back or maybe Josh Manson or a combination of the two. But in looking at the players and just reading body language, I guess, you know, now that I'm looking back, I feel like there just was very little self-confidence in the group. I feel like I, I remember a long time ago talking to Semyon Varlamov after he got his hip surgeries. Right. And he was saying how um, how how much confidence he had in his body and how much how important that was for his game to just be able to rely on yourself. Right. Well, you look at the team as a body and I just feel like they're just wasn't that much self-confidence with them. And and again, I look back even further and I remember a stretch of the season where Jared Bednar just didn't seem like himself. I And, you know, I, this is purely speculation. Who knows what he was maybe dealing with personally, if anything. But I almost feel like that was the moment in time where he is, was starting to accept that, man, this year just isn't going the way. Because right he, after... After the press, after game seven press conference, that's basically what he said that he had accepted it earlier in the year. So looking back, I'm like, what point was that? And I'm thinking, yeah, there was a stretch of time where he just he seemed downtrodden. He seemed different. And um, I, I, I guess I just wanted to throw that in there. And I know you guys have been so talking. for Jared that that was followed with a 37 and four stretch, 31, four, seven and four stretch since that loss to Chicago back in January when the sky was falling. So I think things changed for him. For the team, I can kind of I kind of saw it and I kind of didn't. Because on one hand, you had, and again, this doesn't mean any players were quitting on the season or anything, but on one hand, you had Nathan McKinnon's quote, and it was something along the lines of like, you know, you try to say the right things all year, but we were just missing so many guys. Uh, you have Devon Cave saying something like, you know, we we every guy in here knew they like put everything they can on the line. 
But then you look over at Kale McCarr and he's in full equipment, just sitting there, just in distraught. Like, can't believe he lost. He doesn't care if there's no Nazem Kadri or Burakovsky. Or but was Nitrushin he distraught or... about the series or was he just distraught about the year as a whole? I think, a, I think, loss. I think he was, I think he was upset just looking at his quotes he was upset because he didn't play well like yeah he, or to his he played well by a lot of people's standards but i think he really felt like and he's he's probably not wrong if they get uh kale mccarr versus nashville level series they probably win like if they get a kale mccarr versus edmonton series they probably win um like like it, it i think he he probably put he puts a lot on himself and i think that that was probably what you were seeing there um I, and I think there were guys who were just sad that, I mean, Eric Johnson was the last guy to take, take off his uniform. And I think that that was because I think that you see guys who are sad because they know that this group's going to look a lot different next year. Yeah. And maybe Eric Johnson's back. I'm not saying he's not, but like you have to wonder about Darren Helm, Andrew Cogliano, or one of one or both of them going to hang up the cleats is, is uh, you have guys like, they're going to have tough decisions with like JT Comfort is a guy who's been with this team since the the low point in 1617. He's going to be really tough to resign. And, and I think that that's where you saw a lot of the pain. I don't know if there was necessarily a lack of confidence cuz I mean you look at like the Avs top guys McKinnon, Ranton and Lekkinen, like they were all confident I feel like. I think McKinnon was playing at an all-world level. Ranton was scored 7 goals in the series. Lekkinen was okay but he was playing through a broken toe like it, it's it's it i think that it was more just they just didn't have the bodies i think maybe there were some guys that maybe didn't have enough confidence like i but alex newhook even like you look at game six and seven i thought those were his two best games of the series i thought that's where he looked most confident most sure of himself when he had the puck on a stick i just think frankly that by the end of the year this team wasn't good enough like i don't think it's like a belief thing i think it was they just weren't as deep as Seattle and, and Grubauer played really well in game seven. And that was it. Like, yeah. I thought they played a good game seven, a good confident yeah. game yeah, seven. Yeah. And they just got beat. Yeah. Game seven was a clear to me was like, this team played well and what their team is playing well, getting goalied means you scored one goal. And, and like, that's ultimately what it was. It wasn't that they blew anything in game seven. Obviously there was a lack in an offside, but it was a clear offside. This was by no means 2019 offside where you can sit there and look at a pixelated screen and say, was it, was it not? It was a clear offside outside of that. Like the avalanche played a good game seven and it just wasn't good enough. I guess the metaphor I was using, right. Is the team being your body. And yeah, there's confidence in some parts of the body and maybe a lack of confidence in other parts of the body, which as a whole kind of just brought this. All right, we're going to do our best, but keep keeping our expectations low going into it. Yeah. But, I, you know, I could be I agree. I, I agree with I agree with the first points. part. The expectations low part is hard because these guys in the end, they're they're crazy ass competitors that that want to win it all. But I do agree with that in the sense of like, how many times have we heard Jared this year talk about? Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ray and his minutes. And it's like, what the hell do you want me to do? Of course, I'm going to play this guys this much after game five. We have classified this as a must win. <clears throat> Miko, uh, Nate has played 23 plus many times for us this year. If I have to play him 30 in game six, I will like, that's a clear sign of, you know, you're, you're compensating one part of your body. You feel better about one part of it. You're going to run with that part of it. And that's, that's what Jared had to do with his top guns compared to a season ago. Yeah. I think there's a, I think there's a distinction that we can make between. I don't think like, I think Nathan McKinnon after game seven, when I talked to him seemed somewhat at, obviously he was upset. He wasn't happy, but I think he was at peace. Maybe not at peace, but I think he, no. he knew that this was going to be a really tough road. He knew that they, that he, I think last year, say they had lost in five to Tampa in the Stanley Cup final, I think he would have been devastated um, because I think he knew that that team was good enough to win. Yeah. And this year, I think it was a little more, one, you have the cup to fall back on. You know that you're, you've already gotten a cup. Two, I think that if he was being honest with himself, which I think he was just in his post-game quotes of like we, it, like we, it's really hard when you lose this many guys. I think he, he probably knew. And, um, but I don't, again, I don't, I just, I don't know if that's a lack of confidence necessarily. Like, I think 
it's I guess just confidence in the group is more where I was headed, right? It's it's not a lack of self confidence, but 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 maybe no, maybe you're still. But I don't even know. Like, say they like had a little bit more. Say Nathan McKinnon like believed in the group a little more or whatever. I don't know if that changes the result. You know, like I think yeah. they just got by the end they were so. By the end, Seattle, especially if Seattle was going to get goaltending performances like Philip Grubauer gave him in Game Seven, Seattle was just playing at a, a higher level of hockey. And I think that really what you saw was that the Avs paid the price for how they played in games one, four, and five in game seven. In game seven, if they play the way they played in game seven in one of those other three losses, they probably win. Well, and, and that's it, right? The, the first yeah. couple of games too, it was very much an execution, almost effort, a lot of passengers idea where that had to get resurrected later on in the series. So I yeah. don't know if you come out of the gate for the playoffs a little <clears throat> effortless, not effortless, but lacking effort, I guess, if you are confident in the group. I, I guess that's just where I Or Or from. maybe they Sorry, were tired or maybe like because they said they always would say, I think there was a distinction they tried to make between lack of effort and the fact that like Jared Benner said, he was like, if you ask every guy, this was after game five. He's like, if you ask every guy in this room, if they were working hard, they would say yes. And I would believe them because they are. The problem is they weren't working connected. Like they weren't following up, you know, like two guys winning a puck battle instead of one guy fighting by himself. Mm -hmm. And it was, so maybe that's mental fatigue or anything or maybe it's also just that the players aren't as good as they were last year you know it's it can and, and it's probably a mix of the two yeah um and i think that yeah i i think that it's a it's an interesting it was a really interesting series because i think you really just saw the abs got to their game too late and that left them no room for error and it left them no insurance for a philip grubauer was gonna goalie them one game what I like about what you said about Nathan McKinnon, kind of that try, trying to def, like figure out how you want to define it, but that at peace comment of like, you know, we gave it our all and you kind of felt that he he was not okay with it, but at peace with it. Would you say just off the bat that Nathan McKinnon is any less of a competitor than, I don't know, Braden Point, Kucherov, Hedman, the guys on Tampa? No. Exactly. So when you look at Nathan McKinnon, look at the way that he reacted to losses in 2020 losses in 2021 how heartbroken pissed off and upset he was to even have to sit there and say we lost in the second round and then look at the way that he reacted in 2023 it's not because he won a cup in 2022 because if nathan mckinnon was on the 2022 lightning which is why i use them as an example the 2022 lightning won 11 series in a row they had two stanley cups to show for it and they were still pissed off. And I can't believe we lost to this damn avalanche team. We could have done it. Nathan McKinnon not feeling that way after that game seven loss is why I believe that what you said. That's why I gave a thumbs up to the camera. Like that is so spot on because if Nathan felt like the avalanche were the lightning and they had the team to run it back and the health and the good fortunes to run it back. If you go back and listen to, you know, God rest Peter McNabb's soul. If you go back and listen to the Connor McGahee call when they won game seven, Peter's first thing he says after McGahee makes his, you know, they're going to raise the Stanley Cup a mile high, Peter says, and look at Hedman and Kucherov still snapping at the referee because even in that moment, they just lost their third Stanley Cup final in a row and they still can't believe it. They're still pissed off. They're still competitors. Nathan McKinnon not feeling that way in 2023. It says a lot to me. Well, and we also don't know. He might like I, I don't want to read too much into a press conference. Like I think I think there are probably points during the year where Nathan was like more frustrated and yeah. maybe he had just come to terms with it. I think you saw I look at like Chris Kreider had a quote after the Rangers got eliminated of like he said like that last year he felt they realistically got as far as they we're going to and this year hurts more because it felt like they had more hockey to play and i think may that's kind of what this comes down to is yeah. i think the abs maybe had a little more hockey to play like i think they could have they should should have beaten seattle for sure but i i don't i don't i think they probably knew that it, the road was going to be really really difficult do you guys remember nathan mckinnon's reaction to winning the lady bing <laughs> that was before my time 
Yeah, I do. Well, it was basically just a whatever. I, this isn't the trophy I want kind of idea. So I guess with that, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on is, is there still pride? Is there still, you know, chalk it up as a successful season in winning the Central Division this year, despite the playoff performance? I think I think really quick what winning the Central Division and doing what they did the second half of the season, what it says or what it does is it gives them, again, not that they're lacking it. These are guys that want a Stanley Cup. The last champions as of right now are the Avalanche. Um, but it gives them confidence going into the offseason. Whatever player you are, if you're Miko Ranton and saying, like, I scored this many goals and Nathan McKinnon was that good and Kale McCarr was lights out and is a Norris Trophy finalist despite missing 22 games and not looking like himself for a little bit of, the st- of a stretch of a season because of these injuries that he dealt with. Without Gabe Landeskog, without this, without that, we didn't replace a line two center. New Hook didn't take that step. Like, if they're having those realistic conversations, which I don't think they do it the way we do it, but they're going to sit there and be like, despite all of that, we still found a way to win 51 games. If we had a little bit of a better team, a better fortune, a better injury luck, whatever you want to call it, we could have won 55, 56. Like we did a season ago, we didn't need to play 27 minutes a night. We wouldn't have needed to play Georgiev 61 games and things would have gotten better. So all we have to do is fix a few things. And what we did this year shows that even at our, at our worst, we can win 51 games. And I think that in the end does matter. I think it, I think it matters because it's, it's an accomplishment to win a division. I wonder honestly, if, if the push to win the division cost them, like, would they have been better off easing off the gas a little bit, not playing the big guns quite as many minutes and then playing Minnesota in the first round. And that's just a hypothetical that like, you'll never know. And at the end of the day, you can't, I certainly wasn't faulting them for going for the division when they were. So I don't think I can do that now. I think that there are things I don't like looking at seasons as like a hundred percent failures or a hundred percent successes. Like I, I think that there are, I think if you looking back at this season, I think there's maybe less regret than looking back at the 2021 season when they lost to Vegas. Um, because that one really felt like, oh wow, they should have they they yeah. should have done more. Whereas this one, it's kind of like they should have done more, but they probably weren't going to be able to do much more than what they did. Um, yeah. And I think you can look at it and look back at all world performances from Nathan McKinnon and Mika Rantanen and say that was really memorable and really cool for the Avalanche organization to see a guy score fifty goals, to see Nathan McKinnon finally get to one hundred points. You had some really good moments this season, be it the Finland trip or. McKinnon's big game against Nashville, the last game of the season, kind of willing them to a division title. Um, so I, I, I really, I don't think that like the season was a waste or a abject failure by any means was the playoffs a failure. Yeah, sure. I mean, they, they lost in the first round and p- didn't play very well for the first part of that series, but overall I would, I would kind of, I, I wouldn't, I would say there are definitely things you can take from this season and, and then things that need to improve and and we'll see um we'll see how they address that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing from that what you just said is is that idea that back in January they were out of a playoff spot and then Jared was saying things like it doesn't matter where we end up in the playoffs as long as we get in we're confident. And then things started to go so well that they put an idea in their brain of like we can win this division. We can actually get that number 1 seed. And it took, like you said, a Nathan McKinnon hat trick in the final game of the regular season to win by, I think, a goal to get that division title. And it was a goal they had set and they accomplished it. And I think that in itself is a big thing for them. I guess to wrap up looking behind and we'll start to look ahead after a quick ad read just quickly. What was your guys' favorite part about covering the team this year? Not necessarily moment of the team or... Um, you know, a certain result or game. What 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 did you guys just enjoy this year uh, covering the apps? I had never covered a team with an open locker room. Um, so I, I thought that was that was really cool. Um, I think it definitely leads to to better insights and more insights from different voices that I think is is really important. Um, and then I, I guess also just the the Finland trip was was pretty special and um that's something I'm going to remember for a long, long time and, and getting to have that experience because I don't know the next time I'll be back in Finland. I, 
uh, it's certainly more likely to go back than I ever would have thought two years ago or whatever. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great trip. And I think some led to some cool experiences and stories that, um, are all on the athletics website. For me, I mean, obviously that's an easy one for me because I covered 13, 14 games in my first season or whatever it was, 20 something games before COVID ended locker room access. But aside from that, honestly, like to our listeners, if you guys follow the avalanche reporters on the beat, we have such a fun group up there. We have such a great group of, and maybe it's, you know, there obviously has been change in turnover. We all know that Peter, Peter, I mean, I'm in season. I just finished season four. Peter just finished season three. Uh, we have other reporters in there that have just finished season one or two or three or four as well. Uh, so there's been a lot of change, but also coming out of COVID, having more reporters there, it's a far cry from, for example, 2021, where the first time I met Peter, he was in section 141 or whatever the hell. And I just went and said hi to him. And then I walked halfway around the rink to my table in this empty arena all the way on the other side and sat there. I was like, all right, well, because I'm going to hang out by myself today. So it's just. We have such a great group up there. There's a lot of reporters and a lot of people that have great opinions on covering the avalanche. And honestly, that was my favorite part. It's fun to go to work when when you go to work, your colleagues from different companies are people that you enjoy. Yeah, that's a good answer for sure. It's, it's definitely different from when I started covering the team and they were a terrible team and there was maybe four of us covering them. So <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's awesome. It's a fresh group too, right? A lot of young guys and suddenly I'm one of the older ones and, it, and it's great. It brings a, a di completely different energy than we've ever had and I love it. My answer to that is just simply getting to know Alexander Georgiev. He's been a fascinating person for me to cover. Um, he's just a, a unique individual and you know me, I love goalies and he just has this interesting personality to him that you know i've been fascinated with um but yeah that brings us to our fantastic ad reader guys of course superbook sports our favorite sponsor of the show with baseball is back and the push for the postseason is on for hockey and for hoops make it all count this spring with superbook sports superbook sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in las vegas plus you get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. Don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Um, all right. Let's look ahead, guys. Time to put it behind us and move on. Of course, without getting too detailed, too in-depth, we have a whole off-season of podcasts to fill here, guys. But what is a blanket goal you think the Avalanche need to have for the offseason? Of course, um, there's so many different avenues you can take. You can get as detailed. No, don't get too detailed, but you can get in-depth or not in-depth. But just give me something. I think they need to get this is broad, but they need to get to a point where they know that at the end of the season that they have 12 forwards that they can trust on the ice. Because um, that was a big issue this year was they didn't. They had it felt like the last few games of the season, they had like nine guys that they could trust. If that, like it was probably that more was, like, and that was more than they had in like November, December when it was like, yeah. Seven. Yeah. So they really need to bolster just the kind of, I mean, you, you Dennis Malgan was a really fun story in the middle of the year, but he was playing four and a half minutes or whatever in the playoffs. You need to, to get to a place where you're comfortable in having, having, the guys that you you have in there and maybe that means signing some veterans maybe that is is counting on ben myers to take another step which i think there's a, a good chance he does like like but i i think that you need to just get to a point where you have a lineup of uh, uh, like 14 or 15 forwards that if jared bednar needs to put in a game he will be like all right i can roll with this guy and you got to hope for jumps from guys like john luke foodie from guys like ben myers alex newhook maybe taking another step like you need all of those things, but that's the big thing for me is they just need guys they can trust. They need to add a quantity of quality is what I was going to say. So it's mm. pretty much similar to what Peter said, um, because, yes, you can add a quantity of Ben Myers level players like no disrespect to him or Dennis Malgan level players and Dryden Hunts and Anton Bleeds. And it's not going to get you far. But uh, who was the team that went wild at the deadline? Uh, the Minnesota the wild the minnesota wild they went wild at the deadline they brought in marcus johansson and oscar sunquist and and gustav nyquist and john klingberg and every single one of those guys performed and i say that as i wait for their stats page to load yeah marcus johansson this is just the regular season 18 points in 20 games 
Uh, John Klingberg, nine points in 17 games. Oscar Sundquist, seven points in 15 games. Gustav Nyquist obviously came in late, five ge- five points in three games. And in the playoffs, these guys were were uh, were uh, were contributing as well. And what Minnesota had in the postseason, I know they lost in six games, but they had depth up and down their lineup because at the deadline, they brought what you just said. They brought in four more players, one of them being a defenseman, that they could trust in their lineup and play them. And that was something the Avalanche lacked. They didn't have a quantity of quality. Uh, sometimes they didn't even have a quantity. But even when they started to shore it up with Dennis Malgan and Matt Nieto and guys like that, it wasn't the right kind of quality. So, you know, do they have to go out and sign the next Nazem Kadri? Not necessarily. They can't even afford it. But if they have a quantity of guys that can give you quality play, 12, 13, 14, 15 forwards deep, like you said, because injuries will happen. They trust that the lineup that they're playing is something that they can roll four lines with. Yeah. And I think even Minnesota's and in, it's interesting you bring them up. I'm sorry. I might be lagging. No, no, go, go ahead. Let's go um, ahead. No, you're fine. Um, Minnesota. It's interesting. You brought them up because in a lot of ways, they're the opposite of what happened with the ads this year um, in the playoffs. Like their top guys, like Bill Guerin, I think came out and said like they needed more from Boldy and Kaprizov and Kaprizov wasn't completely right coming off his injury. They had the depth. Their top guys didn't really show up the way they needed. The Avs had the top guys showing out at elite levels and their depth vanished. So it's kind of interesting that that's uh, the the two central division teams um, that are out are the, the ones that kind of needed what the other had that yeah. is interesting that is an interesting point um i think the, the addition just needs to be offense oriented right i think you've had a good look at a handful of guys that are four checkers that are penalty killers you know you can take your pick of the litter and you have a strong defensive unit you need to replace goals i mean i feel like um the, the goals per game were probably down this year if not it's all because of nathan mckinnon and miko rantanen so uh depth goals per game definitely down so you got you got to find a way to replace just simple offense in my opinion so not just about adding bodies not just about adding good bodies but adding guys that just know how to freaking bury the puck yeah adding no matter how many good character logan o'connor's you can have it's only going to get you so far and that's not to say logan's not an important piece of this team he sure as hell is uh but yeah goes back to what peter was saying and kind of what i added to is is knowing that the minnesota wild were able to add someone at the deadline that gave them 18 points in 20 games uh, those are the types of additions the Avalanche are going to need to make. And with guys like Logan, I mean, he's a great fourth liner, but the abs at points this year were playing him in <laughs> like way too much. Like he, he just, he, it was, you can have a few of those guys, but they need to be in the right roles. And, and Logan knows what his role is to forecheck and play good defense. And the finishing is probably going to be here and there, but, but it, it, he was he was counted on too much and so were a lot of a lot of guys this year i mean you look at like at the end of the game i think the shift before the abs went six on five against seattle they had like nieto and eller out there for a minute because they just didn't have when mckinnon and Rantanen and those guys were resting they just didn't have dudes who could mm-hmm. who could score and so i i think that that's yeah, they have to add offense. They need that's a necessity, and I think that that'll be it'll be interesting to see how they do it. I'm interested in how many guys they add because yeah. it, it could end up being a lot, and we'll see. Some of that'll depend on. I mean, Darren Helm. Obviously, there's no announcement yet, but I think this was a pretty difficult season for him, considering he played 12 games if you include the playoffs, 12 of 89 possible games, um, and he. He, last year he he kind of thought that was going to be his last year and then he had so much fun that he he decided to run it back cogliano we'll see that guy loves hockey but <laughs> he he just suffered a fracture in his neck like is he going to be back there's so many guys that there are question marks and that's maybe some of them are back but maybe that's space to to spend on on new faces and they're going to have to make sacrifices because of the salary cap. I mean, maybe you have to move a defenseman because you need to spend more on your forward group. I think that's um, not necessarily something I would advocate for, like just flippantly, like it's just that they need, they're going to need to make sacrifices somewhere and the cap requires that. And I think um, this year, I think they, they didn't have enough guys who can score goals and especially with Landis out and then the at the end, like that's, 
it's pretty tough. They had two guys that they could really count on to put the puck in the net. Yeah, they ended up 11th in the NHL in goals for, which is pretty good, all things considered. Um, but, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, like the Avalanche, for so many years until they had that summer of additions, it was Soderberg, Nieto, and like Calvert slash Como was like their second line without really being their second line. And you mentioned Logan O'Connor, like that Comfort Cogliano O'Connor line, like that should not be your quote second line. And they were for a large chunk of the season because of the lack of depth that this team had. Yeah, I remember there was a moment where Miko Rantanen had like 75% of Avalanche goals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only 75 i want to find uh let me see if i can find it i want to find there were there was a hilarious lineup earlier in the year i'm gonna see you keep talking the I'm bruins see one it was the bruins one uh, gotta have who in it yeah it had who yeah. on the top line with miko but yeah i i think i you should be able to find it quick i found it the other day um Ooh. Anyways, JJ, you keep talking because this is terrible podcast. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. It adds to the human effect, right? We're just three dudes here chatting hockey. Um, and before, I don't want to move on to the next topic just yet. So, I, I'm I'm the ducks. No, <laughs> yeah, um, get to feeding the ducks. <laughs> okay, it was Newhook, Rantanen, Hudon, Cogliano, okay. Comfer, O'Connor, Ranta, Myers, Cout, Hunt, Cal Burke, Jean Luc Foodie. And that was Dryden Hunt. <laughs> that was Dryden Hunt. Um, and then the defense was Gerard McCarr, Taves Johnson, McDonald England. How great was the Bruins this season? Regular season, I should say. Regular season. How great was the Bruins' regular season? And how many good fortunes did they have that even when they came to Denver to play the Stanley Cup champs, that was the team that they went yeah. against? Like everything went right for those people in, in those 82 games. All right, I think we uh, can move on to the next conversation. You guys are obviously two great people to have it with since you have votes, but that's Makar and the Norris nomination. I oh, guess I'm boy. just going to throw that out there and let you guys give your thoughts. Uh, you know, I don't want to pry too much into what you are allowed to say and not allowed to say before votes are actually counted, but um, just give your thoughts on Makar being nominated again on the Norris. Um, I, I'm not going to reveal my ballot cause I'm not sure I'm supposed to, but I had, you vote for five. I had Kale in my top five. I didn't have him in my top three, but I don't have a problem with him being top three. I think you just, it kind of comes down to what you look at. Like, I think what, for me, it, it was at a point where I just was kind of like, he had missed too many games for me to feel comfortable having him in higher than fourth or fifth. Um, but I thought that when he was playing, especially after there were some funks here and there, but for the most part, when he was playing, he was the best defenseman. Um, but the award is about who had the best all around season. And I think durability and availability plays into that. And some of that's bad luck for Kale. I mean, obviously there was the the play with Jeff Carter that, that left him out for however long. And, um, and then he got hurt again and then he was hurt at the end of the year. So I, I think that there, it was, it was a little too, I just I, I felt like it, I couldn't have him too too high, but I don't have a problem with people having him that high because I thought he was absolutely excellent when he played. I was a little surprised that he was top three, honestly. Do you um, think Do you think he was mismanaged at all this year? Do you Do you look at Jared Bednar and say maybe you shouldn't have had those nights where he was playing twenty eight minutes, close to thirty? I don't know. I mean, he's a he's a top defenseman in the league, and that's what those guys do. Um, and maybe there were some where it was like, oh, wow, that's a lot of minutes. But I, I think if you're going to look at any mismanagement, it comes down to like him returning to the game against Pittsburgh or the game against St. Louis after he was yeah. uh, or the, and that was I mean, that was almost more the league's the fact that like the concussion spotter didn't have him go into protocol after the Torpchenko play in St. Louis like that. That's where I'm like. He probably didn't need to be going back into those games, but I don't, I, I, it's hard for me to with a guy like kale and the team, the way it was where they needed staying afloat. I think there were points where Bednar probably could have balanced out the minutes a little more. Um, but it's also, it's kale McCarr. This is what you have a number one defenseman for is to play big minutes. Yeah. I mean, we talked about their five horses all year of uh, Makar and Taves and Byram and Manson and Gerard. Like they had parts of the season where two or three of those guys were healthy. And then it was like Brad Hunt, uh, uh, Curtis McDermott and God knows who else. Like they they needed 
Kale to play big minutes and in times of the year that just wasn't a thing last year. So um, yeah, that's my point on that. And then for the ballot, I mean, Peter just said it, like you still had him in your top five, despite not being in your top three, I think is what you said, but like it speaks volumes to who Kale is and the kind of player he is and how valuable he is that even if he missed 22 games and even with this idea that durability is a part of the voting, which it absolutely is. It's why Artemi Panarin beat out Connor McDavid for the rookie of the year once. Even despite that, he still could be a top five guy in a season where you might have as many as 17, 18, 19, maybe 15 guys like on different ballots, starting from the, the, the Carlson's and Fox's and Makar's, the three guys that end up being the finalists, which obviously are on a lot of ballots. That means to guys like Josh Morrissey and Rasmus Dahlin and, and Kale McCarr, you know, is, is, uh, is going to be on and off some ballots. I would assume some people left him off completely. Some people had him on, some people had him high. Uh, Miro Haskinen, Brent Burns, like the Hampus Lindholm, Charlie McAvoy. Like there were so many guys that were available. And despite all that, you can still make space for a guy like Kale, despite him missing 22 games. And, and that was the thing for me. He was in my ballot as well, where we'll find out later, but um, he was in my top five and, I struggled with it. I struggled with a lo- with it a lot that had Kale played seven, eight, nine, ten 10 more games. We'll say if he hit 70, 71 games and was Kale in those seven, 71 games or in those extra 10, 11 games, like it would be really hard not to have him in your top one or two or three. Um, but I struggled with it because of that. I struggled with it because he only played 60 games. Um, but in my 2022 ballot, since this is now already public, cause it's a year old, I had Aaron Eckblad five. And Aaron Eckblad was having an incredible season with the Florida Panthers until he got injured in towards ACL. What was it? Late February, early March, something like that. He played also 60 something games. I still made space for him at fifth because I thought he was so exceptional in that first majority of the season that I couldn't leave him off. And, and that's what it feels like people felt with Kale. The difference between Kale and Eckblad is Kale had a lot of stops and starts. And every time he came back, it was shaken off the rust playing an incredible 10, 15, 20 games and then a concussion and then coming back and then an injury and then coming back. And it just kind of, it was never ending in that sense, but I did struggle with it, but he, you know, he was in my ballot as well. How about other abs to expect on any other awards? I know they haven't announced a handful of the nominees for a few of the other awards or other awards that maybe abs deserved that, that they haven't been nominated for either, either, or you can, you can answer here. Well, I think McKinnon has an outside shot at being a heart finalist. Um, I don't think it's a, I wouldn't say it's a likelihood. I, I would guess he'll finish top five in heart, but probably not top three. Um, beyond that, I mean, I think JT Comfer is going to, he's not a finalist for the Selkie, but I think he's going to get some votes. Um, and which I think is a good achievement for him kind of in probably maybe his last year with the abs, like to, to appear on Selkie ballots is, is a big deal. Um, I think that beyond that, I mean, McKinnon and Rantanen might be able to crack the top two all-star teams. Um, but, but I don't know if there are any guarantees there. There's no one Cogliano maybe is a finalist for the Masterton. Like there's, there's not a ton of guys this year. And that's just kind of the season that the team had beyond Rantanen and McKinnon. I think McKinnon's going to end up top four in the Hart Trophy ballot, and I would actually go out on a limb and say that he will end up third. Um, without without saying what my ballot is, you know, listeners can try to decipher who the top four names are that I'm list that I'm thinking of. Obviously, number one would be Connor McDavid, and McKinnon is one of the others. So, who are the other two names? Um, I think he's going to end up third. That's okay. just my guess. That's my prediction based off of what I'm the vibe that I got heading into not in the playoffs, but heading into that final week of the regular season. Um, but that's pretty much the only one. I mean, Miko Rantanen could crack top, top two all-stars uh, McKinnon cracking top two centers is going to be tough. Um, I think me. McKinnon will, I think McKinnon will, I think Rantanen won't. Oh, sorry. I said that the wrong way. I'm sorry. Uh, McKinnon's going to get second behind McDavid. Rantanen is going to be tough to crack the top three because there are two names in my brain that are very easily going to probably get Kachuk one or two. and Pasternak. Bingo, bingo. Like, that's it. But, um, but yeah, McKinnon is a very easy one at number two, and it helps that Austin Matthews didn't have the season he did a year ago because, you know, if Matthews is Matthews and if McDavid is McDavid, those are your top two centers, especially because McKinnon 
uh, doesn't play 82 games a year and hasn't over the last couple of years or three years, if you want to include 48 or 56 uh, or 36 or 56, whatever he played that year. Um, but yeah, I think Miko can get into, uh, sorry, I think Nate could get into the top two all-star teams. Uh, and that's probably all you'll see from the Avalanche. I don't think anyone's going to win an award. I think Georgiev will get votes for the Vezina. I don't think he'll be in the top three. Um, but somebody will have him on there, whether he's like listed eighth or ninth with a single point or two fifth place votes. Like, I think he's going to get one or two of those uh, just for hitting the 40 win mark, but he's not going to be a fucking. It's list. tougher with that one because it's a smaller voting pool there. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's the GM. I think it's like 18 or 50. Oh, it's the GMs. That's not the broadcasters. Yeah, yeah it's the GMs. Okay. Yeah. So because of Eric that, I think. Anyway. I think he'll get some, he'll get some, uh, you know, here is your top three and then also received votes at the bottom of the list. You'll see Georgiev in there somewhere. Arif's going to get an email saying from Frank Saravalli saying, why, why the hell did you vote on the Vesna, Arif? Yeah. <laughs> why, why did you add that? We're not ta- tallying that. Stop it. <laughs> no, but one thing's for sure. Um, you know, I watched you guys just discuss snippets of your voting and you guys are definitely two of the right people to have as voting as you guys are both very thorough doing your homework, making sure you guys make the right choices. So um, Avs fans can rest assured that the votes in good hands as far as the Colorado chapter. Um, All right, let's end with a little bit of fun. At least I hope it's fun. I have two little activities for you guys. (laughs) I want you to first activity. You're going to pick a Stanley cup winner based off of, former avalanche players that are still left whether it's you like them they play well whatever it is but i'll have them ready for you here so of course new jersey devils has ryan graves carolina hurricanes has paul stasny seattle kraken have philip grubauer the toronto maple Leafs have alex kerfoot and ryan o'reilly and of course the oilers knights florida panthers and dallas stars have zero i and the the kraken also have burkowski and yeah that doesn't count though he's not playing I mean, he's, he should he's, be back soon. He should actually. be back. Yeah. But so and far, then, yeah. We could throw him in there. And Donskoy is is there. That one I would say doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, I, I think he, he will. I would hope he will receive. If they he's, win, I hope he will receive a ring. And will yeah. Because he, he has had a tough year with injuries. Um, I I would say New Jersey. Um, just and I mean I don't know if that's who I'm necessarily rooting for, but in terms of like Avs guys who I, I right. kind of feel some some fondness towards, I think Ryan Graves. I think it's got to be tough to be one of the guys who was traded, who was essentially part of building the cup, cup champion, but mm-hmm. didn't quite get to see it to the finish line. Um, I think that would be pretty cool for him to to get to experience that with a really exciting New Jersey team um, that has a. a I think a two goal lead against, um, against it's actually uh, three Carolina. Now. Oh, it's three. So yeah, I, I think he, he definitely comes to mind as, as someone who I would be happy for. And you said, because I, I lost audio for a couple seconds there when you were saying the, what we're picking based off of it's who we would be happiest for. Yeah. Just who you like, you can't base it off the team. You have to base it purely off of the, the former avalanche player on it. Just like Peter did. I'm going to go on a limb and say Toronto Maple Leafs, and it's not for the guy that already has a cup in Conn Smythe. It's for Alexander Kerfoot. Uh, and I, I use Kerfoot in this because poor Tyson Berry got traded from Edmonton to Nashville the last week of the regular season and uh, or whatever, the last week of the trade deadline, and Edmonton even went out of their way to put a video of him getting that call, which was a little hard to watch. Um, but I say Kerfoot because he's kind of the forgotten part of that trade. Like we all talk about Kale McCarr burst onto the scene. So the avalanche traded Tyson Berry for a centerman and Nazem Kadri, which is what they needed. But Kerfoot was this kid that came in and put up 40 something points was a good college kid that chose the avalanche. He chose to go the UFA route and he chose to sign with Colorado, which, you know, he was buying what Joe Sackick was selling. And then, you know, there was a reason why he was buying it because he signed that deal in 2017 in the summer. And by 2022, the Avalanche were Stanley Cup champs. So something went right there with what Kerfoot was feeling that Joe Sackick was building, but he unfortunately didn't get to be a part of it. Would the Avalanche have won the Stanley Cup with Kerfoot and not with Kadri? Probably not. But at the same time, he just seems to be the forgotten part of that trade. We often talk about Tyson Berry. We don't always talk about Kerfoot a guy that picked the avalanche. And if you remember, it was in a very tumultuous time where 
Colorado was coming off that 2017 season. They looked absolutely brutal. There were rumors that were confirmed that they had talked to Kyle Dubas, who was still the assistant GM at the time in Toronto. And then Brendan Shanahan said, never mind, we're keeping this guy. The Avalanche stuck with Joe Sackick. And the very first thing Joe Sackick needed to do was get that kid, Will Butcher, at DU signed. And he decided to go as a UFA to Nashville. Nothing was going right for the Avalanche. Nothing was going right. Sorry, to uh, New Jersey. Nothing was going right for the Avalanche. Nothing was going right for Joe Sackick until he got this kid, Alex Kerfoot, to pick Colorado and then unfortunately had to trade him a couple years later. Well said. I like the way you you went. I knew you were going to pick Toronto, but I because I know <laughs> you, you have a man was... crush on Ryan O'Reilly. I've that's no, that's not real. Come on. <laughs> All right. So the second activity here, of course, eight teams remaining in the playoffs. We're going to pick based off of how well they did against the Avalanche in this regular season. So three of the teams, you have to pick one of these three teams, went undefeated against Colorado. One of them was New Jersey in a 1-0 loss and a 7-5 loss for the Avalanche. The other was Seattle, who actually went 3-0 in a 3-2 loss, a 2-1 shootout loss, and a 3-2 No, loss. Colorado won the shootout. Colorado won. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah Nathan I guess McKinnon. they don't count then. So you basically you just have to pick – between the New Jersey Devils and the Toronto Maple Leafs. About the Maple who? Leafs went 6-2 and 2-1 shootout. Just no, the Avs No, the Avalanche Toronto. the Avalanche beat well, the Leafs. And I blew this whole <laughs> well, There least, you go, JJ. At least the first activity went well well, right? It's funny. That I was <laughs> that you were just you were testing us on this activity to see if we remember. I mean, I went to five regular season road games and two of them were the shootout victory in Seattle and the shootout victory in Toronto and I'm like, "Wait, this does this, this is not clicking. This is not clicking." It's funny to me because the team that I think is going to actually take it from here is the Dallas Stars, and that's a team that the Avalanche actually handled pretty well throughout the regular yeah. season, interestingly. Yeah, those yeah. were good games. Outside of that one in Dallas, those were good games, especially the one around Thanksgiving. Yeah, I we'll that see. One I, I'm, I'm curious how the Stars are obviously really good. I I think the Oilers are pretty pretty formidable at this point, and uh yeah, it's going to be an interesting rest of the playoffs. I don't think there's like a clear – if Boston was still alive, they'd be the clear favorite. And right now, I just don't think there is a team like that, which is fun. Can I can I just say, since we've gone completely off the rails at this point, <laughs> that Joe Pavelski is so freaking awesome. And I just turned off a lot of listeners by saying that. But the summer of 2019 – let's go back to my Kerfoot trade. When the Avalanche traded for Kadri – one of the players that was a UFA that summer was Joe Pavelski. He had just mm-hmm. beaten the avalanche in that game seven. And it was like, can the avalanche actually sign this guy? And the, and the, the general feel was like, yeah, he's too old. He wants three years. Do you really want to give him three years? He signed three years with Dallas. He was not very good in his first regular season, 30 something points in 60 something games. I want to say, and then he was incredible in the playoffs in 2020 when they went to the, to, to the final And then in 2021, he played every single game and had nearly a point per game. In 2022, he played every single game and had, I think, more than a point per game. In 2023, he once again played all 82 games and had nearly a point per game and is signed to his fifth year with the Dallas Stars for next season already, and he's 38. Like, what a guy. If Nazem Kadri, if you could look into the future and say Nazem Kadri at 38 would be what Joe Pavelski is at 38... You give him a seven-year contract last summer all day if you're the Avalanche. I mean, the best can't predict it. The best comp for Joe Pavelski is Gabe Landeskog, right? So if he looks anything like Joe Pavelski at 38, uh, you know, better hope that knee heals. (laughs) (laughs) I have I have the numbers here. He had in that first season 31 points in 67 games, and then the COVID pause happened. And if you're a Dallas Stars fan, you're thinking, oh, we signed this guy to another two years after this at seven million, but he comes out in the playoffs has a great playoffs all the way to the final 51 points in 56 games in that 56 game season last season, 81 and 82 this season, 77 and 82. And he broke his assists uh, record both years in 2022 and in 2023, like just an unbelievable guy to be doing what he's doing. And then obviously that all culminates to, albeit in a losing effort, a four goal game in game one against the Seattle Kraken after coming back from, from an injury absence uh, for, for the hit that he took from Matt Dumba in the first round. Like what a dude he's 38 and he's got another year under contract already. 
Yeah, he's he's definitely one of the guys who who deserves a cup. Who's who hasn't one guy without a cup? Yeah. Right on. Well, I guess since Arif took us further off the rails, let's let's just stop the podcast here for today. <laughs> so, um, I guess any closing thoughts you guys want to throw out there at all, or uh, anything you want to uh, pitch for the summer? Anything you just want to say getting out of today's episode? Uh, appreciate all you guys listening. It's been a good run. Yeah. It has been. It's been it's been a fun year. I'm excited to watch the playoffs uh, like I have been this week uh, from afar. Draft lottery on Monday should be fun. Uh, reading Peter's book should be fun. And Peter not having to spend his short summer write a book should also be great for Peter. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Do you know who I appreciate a lot after this last 12 months? Joe Smith, who used to yeah. cover the Tampa Bay Lightning <laughs> and covered three straight Stanley Cup finals. Poor guy. I mean, no wonder he chose Minnesota. He's like, I got to go to a team that's not going to make the final, right? <laughs> that um, was that was hilarious. The last trip that Minnesota had here, I think I think it was you, JJ. You looked at Joe and you were like, yeah, how does it feel to know that you cover three straight cup finals and not that Minnesota Wild are red hot and it might happen again? And he kind of just giggled like, huh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, covering playoff hockey is pretty darn fun. So I, it he, is. It he, is he, so he, fun. He deserves a lot of credit, but it, it's not. It, there are worse jobs out there for sure. For yeah. sure. <laughs> um, but Joe's one of the best. We, we love him at The Athletic. And yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. Good guy. Good guy. Cool. Well, thanks for hanging out with us today, guys. Um, you know, we'll be back this offseason intermittently to uh talk more abs hockey as things go on and then eventually to get to a break probably once uh, the nhl just goes dead like it does every year so um yeah if you made it this far in the podcast bless that pretty little heart of yours let's make hockey for everyone we got you